We always have so much left over. Oh, here. You have to try this. Mm. Filleted goat penis mm. promotes virility. It's mm? very thoughtful of you, Dad. <laughs> oh. Uh, so, Daniel, uh, you were saying that your discipline is in historical magic. Indeed. The Romans still fascinate me. In fact, I'm about to publish my third volume on illusion work of the Colis Aventinus. Oh, could I see it? Well, still in galleys, but I suppose I could show you. Oh, great. Uh, that sounds great. Can we, which, let's go now. But you haven't even touched your penis. You know what? I had a, I had a ton of it yesterday. You said that it was this way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well. Oh my God, I just love Jason in that scene. <laughs> um, hi everyone, and welcome back to Physical Kids Weekly. We are here to talk about episode 110, Homecoming. This one is written by uh, the person who has, has really sort of become my favorite of the magician's writers, Hen Henry Alonzo Myers. And um, yeah, so we're here to talk about that. I'm Clara. And I'm Danny. And, and I'm our, yeah, our guest today oh, is sorry. Nate. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Our guest today is Nate Diagostino. He's a writer at Hypable, formerly was um, part of Watchers on the Wall. And you might actually have seen some of his articles about the magicians, right? You wrote a couple last season, right? Yeah, one of the ones I wrote was um, trying to get people to watch during season one, um, especially like right when the finale came out, um, so people could binge it. So I wrote an article, um, featured five shows, Magicians, of course, was number one. Of and uh, Sarah Gamble, showrunner, co-runner with John McNamara, actually retweeted it, which was really, really cool to like see it come up on my timeline. I was like, wait, I know that article. <laughs> yeah, it's always exciting. Well, you'll, you'll have to tweet it at us again so, um, when we release this next week so that all of our listeners can see it. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, so we always start by just sort of asking how you liked this episode. And Nate, since, our, since you're our guest today, why don't you start us out? What are your thoughts? I really enjoyed the episode. There was a lot of um, really like heartfelt moments, but in a typical you know magician's fashion, it was also balanced out with a lot of humor, which you know really gets you through like those tough moments with all the characters that we know and love. So, yeah, I really liked this episode too. Um, I think there's like there's a lot of really great stuff with Quentin and Alice's relationship, um, and we meet Alice's parents who are just like awful, awful human beings, but. Uh, they're really good at being awful. <laughs> uh, so I kind of like that too. Uh, I like the Margolem. And I remember when we first saw, when I first saw this episode, like the big reveal that, um, that Katie is asthma was just like so revelatory to me. I was so excited about that. So Danny, I know you have some very different feelings about this episode. So, so why don't you share them? I don't know. I feel like I'm hindered by the fact that I've seen the episode just too many fucking times, and now <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> I just hate it. I think it's such a boring episode. Oh. Um, it's like a filler between before all the crazy shit happens. Like, man, <laughs> I can totally see where you're coming from because you're right that like none of the things that happen in this episode, except Julia's timeline, and then only like a little bit, really have any kind of impact on what happens further on. Um, exactly. But I just, I don't know. I loved especially the stuff between Quentin and Alice in this episode. Um, there's just, there's so much. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's three main plot lines. I'll just go over them really quickly. First one, Penny stuck in the Netherlands, and it's up to Quentin and Alice to bring him back, as it turns out, with sex magic that uh, <laughs> is taught to them by Alice's parents' lover, because that's not awkward. 
Um, second one is that Julia joins up the, with the free traders and this I found like so weird because they all like, there's like no time between the last episode where she meets Richard and this episode where she like meets up with the free traders and they start like seriously training at her apartment. They gave like, they gave like some sort of timeline. I think she'd been on it for a few months. They like mention it pretty casually, but there wasn't a hiatus in the first season though right like there wasn't like a couple weeks or anything like that it's just no the show though moves at a very very fast pace like i'm pretty sure like by the time they get to fillery it's like it would have been what would have been like the end of the school year yeah i wonder if they were expecting to fill that time too because in penny's plotline too right like he's gone for six weeks earth time um but like none of that seems to affect us at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, the third plot line is like Elliot and Margot. Um, Margot thinks something's wrong with Elliot. She takes him to Magic Doctor. Magic Doctor says he's fine other than like being a raging drug addict and something is stealing her chi, which it turns out is a Margolem. What was the like biggest thing f- that stood out to you What was th- about the- this episode? Um, I really liked seeing Alice's parents because I actually just read the part in the book before the episode came out. So it was kind of really surreal to see it come to life like so, you know, soon after. And yeah. it really showed kind of like where Alice came from and kind of why she is the way she is. And so like trying to constantly stay so like pristine and put together. And you see yeah. it like for the sake of her crazy family, like especially after her brother, you know, nippins out and is missing and there's just kind of this suction that, you know, her mom doesn't want to know and there's all this, like, conflict with her and you just really get, like, a richer, like, point of view of um, Alice and especially being there with Quentin, who already loves her unconditionally, kind of, you know, you got to be in the audience's, like, perspective because, you know, we already loved Alice, so to kind of yeah. see his perspective, it was, you know, like, really relatable experience. Yeah, I know what you mean, and that's right. Have you read all three books now? Because I know you hadn't read the third. Almost. I'm still kind of procrastinating because I don't want it to end. But oh, I feel yeah. that though. The ending is really amazing, so you'll yeah. you'll be rewarded for your <laughs> for your heartbreak, I guess. <laughs> um, Danny, I know you were saying for like a long time just how much you hate Alice's parents. Do you want to speak to that at all? Yeah, I really hate them. Um, <laughs> They're just assholes. I don't remember them being that big of assholes in the book. Like, they were assholes, but I don't remember them being that bad. Yeah, my memory of them in the book is... Well, I mean, her dad is kind of how I expected based on the book. Because he's just kind of, like, mm-hmm. oblivious. But her yeah, mom is mom, a... Though. Yeah, she's like a raging narcissist. Yeah. Really, really bad. Um, that scene in the tub. Ugh, just so awful. It is. I kind of felt that way the first time, but the second time I watched it, I kind of almost felt from, like, her perspective. Because, you know, like, she lost Charlie as well. Like, she lost a son. So the fact that she doesn't want to know and Alice kind of can't respect that and see her as a person instead of just, like, seeing her as her mom, who's, you know, supposed to be the one to have all, like, her shit together completely all the time, kind of, like, puts in a perspective that that's, like, a really unrealistic expectation that we put on our parents. And, you know, it kind of almost see that from like both sides of it so i think like in a show like this it's so heavy with like growing up and adolescence and everything that seeing somebody interact with their parents was a really unique experience 
I well, understand and, that, but she, her mom doesn't get any better, like, later. And that's true. She just kind of gets worse. She's, yeah. She gets worse. And it's also supposed to have been quite a while since Charlie died. Like, quite right. a while. So it's like, yeah. if she's still acting that way, it can't be because of Charlie. She just is that way. Like, the fact that she calls her mother and she gets pissed off about that. And it's just like, the whole, her whole attitude towards Alice is definitely like, Alice is a burden. I can I can see both sides, but I also agree with you. <laughs> oh God, I just sound like I'm agreeing with everything. But it's true, right? Like I like I think her mom. I, I have some empathy for her, right? Like she's clearly not dealing in a healthy way with Charlie's death, which makes sense because she won't acknowledge it as something that can like really affect her. But also, she is being a jerk, right? Like she's not there for her daughter. She sort of tries to force this lifestyle. Nate, you were saying earlier that you think that like. Alice is trying to hold it together for her family. I kind of felt like it was rebellion too, right? Like she's a yeah. goody two shoes because her fam and like kind of buttoned up because her family is so out there and like hypersexual and weird. <laughs> right. Yeah. And especially taking the alumni key and going to break it those by herself, you know, really shows that she doesn't want to end up like these people that she's been in this house with for so long. And, you really see that, especially when she's in a room and she's just like pacing back and forth, talking about how frustrated she feels and how yeah. just like ignored and invisible she feels. And yeah, I think that's the core of what like connects her family in the book to her family in the show. And like all, all of that kind of business is the fact that like she is so hidden because her family like I think she becomes this like smaller and smaller person because her family is so large. Mm hmm. It's a really hard thing to manage. What did you... Yeah, I mean, there's there's so much to unpack there. What did you think about the... I think the place that was, like, really hard for me to forgive Alice's mom is when Alice, like, says tells Quentin the story of what happened with her parents' marriage and how, like, her father felt like he had to threaten to kill himself to get her mother to notice him mm-hmm. and that Alice really thinks that's right. What did you think about that? I guess it's just a testament to what a narcissist she is. Like, some people don't respond unless it's extremely, like, serious. Well, and, I mean, it seems like even then she found a way to get her way, right? Like, because she ends up convincing Alice's dad to just, like, take on this lover, too. I don't know if that part was necessarily convincing, like, Hmm. him. He might have just saw it as, like, a marital compromise, but he doesn't seem, like, opposed to it or... Yeah. Yeah. I wish that we did get a better representation of polyamory in the show, because it kind of mm-hmm. sucks that and that's, like, what we see is is these, like, two really fucked up people in a really toxic relationship. Well, you kind of I mean, get it almost... kind of will but, later. Yeah, I was just about <laughs> to say, with Margot, Elliot, and Q, like... I don't know that that's... Okay, first of all, I'm not even sure that counts as a relationship. And second of all, I'm not sure that's less fucked up. <laughs> I, no, I'm, no, definitely not. It's magician. I meant, uh, fucked up. I meant Elliot uh, season two. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. We haven't seen how that's going to resolve yet. That has its own yeah. little fucked up bits, but at least everyone is, like, nice. <laughs> and it's kind of almost less fucked up because it's in the terms of, like, royalty, so it's almost more acceptable to be more strange, if that makes sense. Yeah, like I guess I'm mostly thinking about the fact that like Elliot, th- that Elliot is forced to marry 
a woman in the first place. Like yeah. that just is kind of fucked up and it, it makes everything sad for Fen and for him and whatever else. Um, what did you think of the, what did you think of the house? Was that what you imagined from the books? No, not really. But it didn't seem like they had much of a set there. Yeah, it would have been pretty expensive. I'm pretty sure they to... reused that set. <laughs> yeah. Well, they go back there in season two, but I bet they use I bet they use it for some of the like random interior scenes as well. The the house looks really similar to the one that Bigby lives at too. It's just probably the same Vancouver oh, house. All right. Oh, I bet you're right. You know, I noticed something else um, when we were doing the rewatch. I think the mental hospital is also Breakbill South. I'm not positive, Probably. but I think so. <laughs> I, I mean, that that's what sometime. they do. They just, like, rechange things inside um, for a lot of shows. So Yeah. I did kind of just... like the house, though, especially kind of like with the um... – Orgy scene going on, it kind of <laughs> so weird. gave into the impression. Oh yeah, that um, her dad is you know the more open one, and he's more you know like willing to try new things and everything. I mean, just like the stuff he says to Quentin is like absurd, like about the goat penis and everything. He's just <laughs> he just met him, and he's just saying these things that are like so out there and everything. So to be in like a house that's that open and there's just like all this stuff going on is just kind of like you know his character without words. Yeah. I really wonder. I really wonder what Charlie was like in the context of his family. Like that's something that we never get any insight into in either the show or the books. Yeah, yeah. I think it would be neat to see. Um, so one thing I, one other thing I want to say was um, in the books, especially there's so much weird and interesting stuff around like parents and parent figures. Mm-hmm. Um, so like you get this weird stuff with Alice's parents, but like Quentin's relationship with his family is strained in a very well actually i don't know i mean quentin's relationship with his family is strained in kind of a similar way to the way alice's is in the books but very differently from how like alice's relationship with her family is in the show because his parents are just like squares basically yeah i really i still really hate what they did to quentin's family picture in the show so yeah say a little bit more well, we've talked about this extensively already, <laughs> about how much I fucking hate that episode with his dad. I know. Hate it. It's I just s- like, that's not Quentin's relationship with his father in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. He doesn't well, have th- a relationship with his father. Yeah. I think, though, like, it's also... Mm, man, I mean, we've talked about this before, but it, it is true. Like, one of the things that really bothers me about the way Quentin's relationship with his father is portrayed is that, like... Quentin doesn't have a relationship with his father in the books, but also that's kind of what fucks him up when his father dies. And it like throws him into this disarray because he feels like he should have, right? Like there's this big should looming over him. And I think like all of his, like all of his relationships with parental figures, with father figures are disappointing, right? Like his relationship with Dean Fogg is disappointing. His relationship with Ember is disappointing. His relationship with like every guy in his life, except for Elliot is disappointing. And even that's disappointing because Elliot won't sleep with him most of the time. (laughs) (laughs) It's disappointing for everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it sure is. (laughs) Man, I gotta say, I can't wait for for that episode that's coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, about Hugh and his dad, though, yeah. um, 
it was kind of interesting because, you know, like his whole life, you get the vibe that his dad just never really got the whole fillery thing. So the mm-hmm. fact that Q gets to like do real magic in front of him is just kind of yeah. like, uh, really like, I don't really even know the word, but it's just kind of like proves to his dad that like he wasn't really wasting his time all along. It's like really gratifying for both of them. And especially because yeah. I don't even, I don't think that was in the books, but no, especially when he does that, like it's kind of his dad gets like that sense that his son did something almost. Yeah. Instead and the books are still illegal for them to tell anyone that they're magicians, I assume. Yeah. yeah. Like, Though they kind of, I mean, uh, I think they do they set it up as illegal. I, do, I think they do set it up as illegal, and then I think they also break that rule in all sorts of weird ways. <laughs> yeah, well, he was going to die anyway, so... The only reason I like that scene yeah, yeah. at all is because Quentin shows his discipline. That's the only yeah. reason I like it. Because he yeah. mends a minor thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Kind of the relationship, in a way, if you think about it. <laughs> so what do you think about... um? We actually we had a question from a listener just about character development in general. I think that character development is, is strongest with Quentin and Alice in this episode. What did you think about the way that their relationship is portrayed? Danny, let's start with you. Um, well, it was very realistic. Uh, they're very awkward together, like this weird, awkward couple. But just their their sexual problems and everything was just very realistic and kind of like their petty spats throughout yeah i actually i really love the scene where where they sort of make up um do you mind if i play that clip really quick yeah go for it sure i don't get it alice i'm not amazing at magic and i'm apparently i'm pretty patchy at this are you even with me because i like you a lot and i don't know why i just really really do in the weirdest way I don't think we're supposed to like people for what they're good at. I think that's something we make up to torture ourselves. This is the thing that I was thinking that I think of the most when you say like it was really real because I think it's such a great I feel like everyone does that in a relationship at some point in time. Like everybody whether they say it out loud or they're just thinking in their head they're like why is this person with me? I think this person is great. Like what are they doing? I'm a mess. And I really love what she says about how, like, it's not about what you're good at. It's something, you know, more ephemeral and more personal than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Especially um, just, like, their relationship as a whole, you know. Like, he really idolizes Alice and can't figure out, like, especially with his depression, like, why a girl like that would be, you know, with how he sees himself and especially in that way, like it really sets up when he, you know, at the finale, like says, you're pretty much the hero. Like, it's not me. And that's like what she likes about Q is like, you know, not that he's like good at magic or he's good at this or, but like who he is as a person. And I think that was a a way to portray a relationship. Yeah, Yeah. I agree. Um, And I think like one of the things that I found interesting is that the moments where they seem to have the most growth individually and as a couple are the moments where they both sort of acknowledge that they're screwed up and that they have insecurities, Mm. right? Like Alice makes this speech and um, 
talks about how like, and you know, Quentin says, oh, is it about what you're bad at? And she tells him it's not that you're bad at, it's that I'm bad at communicating. And that's the moment when he tells her he loves her for the first time. And she says it back. And then they have this like sexual epiphany to go along with that. Um, Mm. But like it all comes from them acknowledging their pain, which I think is a really true thing, right? Like that's what you, yeah. if you go to therapy. That's what your therapist tells you. Like you have to feel the things you have to acknowledge. Yeah. Well, especially, yeah. Especially in the magicians where magic comes from pain, like it's their most powerful element. And it's not something they should be like ashamed of, you know? So I think yeah. that's something that really does a great job doing, especially, you know, back in the episode when they went to break Bill South for the first time, like they see each other, like they really see each other because they have to. And I think that never goes away, you know, like they're always yeah. like seeing new parts and like who they truly are. And especially this episode where they both had to like, you know, at the same time is really like, A, it's a real, like something that's not really on TV a lot. But B, it's something that is like a new obstacle for them to like see each other in a different way and just yeah. only bring stronger on the other side. So, yeah, I, th- I think it's hilarious how they slyly teach people how to have good sex. communication and (laughs) it's really true and that's like that's a great service first of all but like second of all i don't know it's just so it's it's really refreshing to see them model that with the characters right like you got to talk about it and you might have to deal with some embarrassing stuff yeah um also i really like that she's like just kiss me and then she says bite me Um, okay, so let's see. Let's talk about Julia for a bit, because that's a pretty big storyline, too. Mm-hmm. So, first of all, I don't know, try to think back to season one when you first saw this. What did you think? Like, were you surprised when Katie turned out to be Asmo? Were you expecting it? Like, where did you bring that? I kind of felt something coming on. Like, I just knew she was more important than they were leading on. Um at first, I, I don't think I exactly thought she would be Asmo, but I was really excited that she was because I love Katie. Yeah. And I love yeah. Asmo, so. <laughs> yeah, it's a good fit. How about you, Nate? Yeah, I was pretty surprised. I didn't see it coming, so it was really nice to see her on the other side and to know that she was in New York, too. Like, the whole thing just kind of threw me off. Yeah. I feel like I had this, like, I, I feel like I can remember like, the chills going through my spine when I realized what was going on. It was so cool. There's a lot of other people in there, too, right? Like, um, the woman who plays uh, Pouncey, um, I really liked her. And um, I I don't know. I mean, we've talked a lot about, like, the sort of weirdness Is Pouncey of the... supposed to be a trans woman? I, th- I mean, I think Pouncey... Uh, yeah, I don't... In the book, there's... Uh, no mention of that, but um, that was something that I really liked about the, what the show did. Yeah. Um, what is, what exactly is wrong with them? I can't remember. I know one of them has really, really, really bad depression, and yeah. one has breast cancer. Yeah. Uh, she has cancer. Was it? Did it say breast cancer? I thought that since she like in the visions, like the fake visions, they touched the chest. It was breast. Oh, cancer. maybe. Could be wrong. Uh, maybe. Yeah. Could be lung cancer. That. It's just cancer. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, so, and and yeah, the other one has really bad depression. I, I, I really liked that speech, too, where um, Richard is just really honest and open about the fact that he's, that this kid is fighting every single day to to feel worthy enough to get up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that, like, magic, he's trying to do, right, like, thing, 
conventional means have stopped working for him, but he's still it, trying. It's kind of like what Quentin might be like if it was if he had gotten to his lowest. If he got to his lowest point, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that happening too. Like if Quentin had been in Julia's position, I can totally imagine him becoming that person. Yeah, definitely. I still want to write that fan fiction because back when they were doing the, um, the like the, alternate universe, the alternate oh. universe one, I, I wanted to write that, um, but I just could never make it what like fifteen hundred words. It was, it was absurd. Yeah, yeah, you should definitely yeah. do it. I, th- I started it. I definitely think Quentin would probably be in an insane asylum. Yeah, yeah he would. Ha- he would definitely be institutionalized at least for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, the optimist in me also wants to think he'd get like really good at magic on his own, just like in yeah. spite, kind of like Julia, because you know he's grown up with these books, so like you're not going to kick the ultimate fanboy out. You know what I mean? Yeah, but the thing is, he's not Julia, right? Like Julia is so much more resilient and so much more. Um, what's the word for it? She's just she's stubborn oh, in a way oh. that Quentin isn't. They call yeah. her him the volunteer tom- tomato, but it's more like. <laughs> It's more like because they keep giving him the opportunity and the beast is so connected to him, which they never really explain. Um, yeah. How mm. he's, Just a Harry Voldemort thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but if if Fillory, like, cut him off, like, if that wasn't a thing, if Fillory wasn't real and it was just break bills, I, and he wasn't accepted, like, I don't think he would ever get around it the way Julia does. He does not have that resilience. Yeah. I agree. I think he would like fold in on himself and just be become sadder and sadder. Mm-hmm. I would still like to see them explore some of the alternate timelines. Like I don't know where they would do that. They shouldn't do it next season, I think, but like wouldn't that be cool to have even just like a bottle yeah. episode that shows more of I them? I don't mind I'm- bottle episodes as long as they're good. Yeah. <laughs> That would I mean, be a good one. I do anything. Like, I mean, next episode, they did the probability thing, and they just, like, killed everybody in the cold open. And then when the next season, they did that with, like, Alice and Fogg, or not Alice, Julian Fogg, and their separate timeline. So, I mean, I kind of like it when it's unpredictable, and they just kind of throw it at you, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I feel like we'll probably see that, like, any time and, you know, continue getting our minds blown by the show. <laughs> Nate, what has what has been your favorite episode in the first couple seasons? I really like the pilot. It really got me into it. Um, uh, so it you so hadn't read the books, books beforehand, right? No, no. And I like heard about the show. It was actually from Hypeable, and um, they were like, "It's Harry Potter for adults." I was like, "What? Like, how have I not heard <laughs> this before?" So I watched the first episode, and I think the first like four were out, and I just binged them all. Like, I could not stop, and yeah, just completely hooked me from the first episode also um i love next season when alice nippens out it's definitely top 10 episodes also written by henry alonzo myers incidentally Mm -hmm. (laughs) good stuff yeah so um those are those are all really good choices i think one thing that is um we were talking i think we've talked about this a couple times before but there is there does seem to be like a pretty big divide in that like people who read the books first they came and saw the first episode in the show and they were just like what is this hey the first the first episode of the show is still a lot better than what they had originally pitched cuz have you seen that trailer 
Wait, the original trailer? The, the one original with trailer the other Alice? Sophie Bacon, and yeah. it just looks fucking terrible. <laughs> I've seen that. Oh, I don't know. It looked god-awful. They were like, oh, this is New York. This is our city. Like, it was so just, like, hardcore, like... Maybe okay, I haven't seen that one. Dumb. I feel like... Stupid. <laughs> Maybe yeah. I haven't seen that one. I should go try to find it. <laughs> I've seen one with Sosie Bacon, but she's just like she's just like a shot of her, and the rest of it is is the stuff that. Well, was they in the did a few episode. different ones. There's like one that they premiered at like Comic Con. I think that's the more polished one, and then uh-huh. there's this like really really bad one. Um, I think it's like if you look up like the magician's like trailer zero or something like that, you can find it. And it has, like, oh, hard cool. German subs on it or something. It's you just bad. said German subs? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, I gotta find this some other... Oh, what is... I'll have to find this some other time, and we can... Oh, wait, no, here we go. Trailer Zero. I will look at this later and react to it later. <laughs> yeah, please, I'll definitely, I'll definitely watch that. That sounds hilariously awful. Yeah. Uh, the music already is awful. I stopped it, but (laughs) (laughs) really bad. I still though, like they have like the, the girl floating in the air that ended up being the, the cover for season one. And I was just like, Mm -hmm. I still want to know who that actor or, and or model is. Cause I know. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Also, I'm still bummed. We didn't get that scene ever. I know we've seen other people float, but still, it's just like casual floating in the library. Mm-hmm. It's a great way to get a book uh-huh. from the top shelf. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, so there's a couple other things I want to make sure we talk about. Um, right, other stuff with the free traders. What did you think about their whole mission? Like, their let's fix our lives by turning back time. <laughs> Danny's shaking Even though head. that's not even what they end up doing. Um, they summon a god instead. Um... <laughs> Well, Richard sort of addresses know. that, right? Like, I don't... I have mixed feelings about the free traders, like, as done in the show in general. I don't think they spent enough time with it because it's mm-hmm. such a big part of Julia's life that it's mm-hmm. kind of pathetic that it was just, like, one episode. Like, I mean, there's more, but, like, it's mostly just Katie and Julia or Julia yeah. and Richard yeah. after that. Yeah, we get a lot of Julia's story in season two especially, but it's... It, big departures from the way that the book does it. Yeah. I really love the free... I mean, we all clearly love free traders. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which, by the way, none of this Florian shit, free traders forever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, That's kind of how I felt, too, when I watched it. Like, that's because I'd already joined the group, so you kind of have more of, like, an affinity for just the title, free trader, and that they were communicating on a smartphone was just like so kind of heartfelt for us because that's kind of how we communicate. So it just felt like so represented. But in terms of like their mission, like it's just kind of this existential crisis on their part and they're doing their best to like take control of it. Like if we can't fix the situation, like we need to find the people who can, like we can't just let this go unchecked. So I mean, especially for character like Julia to have this storyline just shows that she's finally found, like, the resourceful, like, powerful magician she's been looking for. And just, like, after, you know, her whole season of being rejected and stumbling and trying to find her way was just really gratifying to see. And it was just even made, like, so much better that Katie ended up um, in on it and being Asmo, so. Yeah. 
I do wish that, I agree with Danny, though, that I do wish that they'd spent more time on the free traders because it was such a big and important part of the books. Which is, mm-hmm. I guess, like, this is why I understand why nobody voted for Free Traders as the name in the fandom for the TV show. Because if you get into it through the TV show, then, like, you see exactly <laughs> one mention of Free Traders and then it splits most, up. Most right. of the people who have only watched the show, never read the books, so I have friends that are like that. Um, if I mention Free Traders, they have no idea what I'm talking about. Then yeah. I have to be like, oh, it's Julia's group of friends. Yeah. Yeah, but like, I feel like it's such, I mean, one of the reasons I think I was really drawn to that name and one of the things that I, reasons I think a lot of the book people are really drawn to that name is because the free traders are the outsiders, right? Like, these are the, these are the like, magic rejects who find it anyway. And if you're picking up a book on magic, you, you already haven't been selected, right? Like, you did not get your Hogwarts letter. <laughs> do not pass go. Do not collect $200. You will not be just, like, hanging out in Dumbledore's office. So... Yeah. Having like this alternate path where you can be your magical reject self and still have some kind of access that feels much more real and much more like the I don't know it it's it's the right kind of outsider attitude to like appeal to somebody yeah. who likes these kinds of books. It even like benefits them in the end because they end up being more disciplined and almost more powerful in a way. Like yeah. I don't think it was like in the books or something. Q commented on how Julia's magic was so like different. Like it wasn't the, you know, like pristine structured method of break bills, but that it was almost like stronger in a way, like still more charged. I've always felt like it's such a big comment on on like privilege in general, right? Mm-hmm. Quentin Quentin gets handed this and, you know, he does fine with it, but like part of the reason Julia is so different is because she had to be. Like she had to be scrappy. So she learned things that he didn't because mm-hmm. He, you know, he got a book, and so he just, like, did what the book told him to do, and he was like, okay, I can do magic now, great. And she I, never had that. I right. love the part where, in the book, in the second book, where they get trapped on Earth, and they're going to the safe houses, <laughs> and they're trying to get Quentin to prove that he can do magic, and he's and like, he can't do this. It. I can do amazing magic, he's so pissed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he just like fusses out on what is really a basic task because he can't mm-hmm. do it a different way because he like already knows something else. Yeah. And I think it goes back to what you said about like privilege. Like it almost like softened him in a way. Like it wasn't for his benefit at all. And I mean, even though they did go on, you know, to defeat the beast and everything, like they still mostly got everything handed to him, like in terms of like their magical abilities and. Yeah. were really, like, um, I don't know the word, but they were just brought up, you know? Like, it wasn't... Yeah, it was a silver spoon. <laughs> yeah, A magical exactly. spoon. <laughs> exactly. I love how, how in the book, though, when they do face the beast and they show up at this, like, you know, the weird, like, cave or whatever it is. I can't remember exactly what it is. It's, like, a, a weird area, and they just, like, Ember's realize tomb, just yeah. how fucked mm. they are they're just yeah. like we are not prepared yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. and that's after five years at break bills. yeah <laughs> like, right. still not prepared yeah that's the really and right like then their sort of exposure to that is they right like the person who is prepared is fen the lesbian warrior princess <laughs> <Light>. <laughs> who just like stomps all over everybody 
But Danny, you were talking about that scene in the books where they're like hot, they're like trying to find portals and get into safe houses. And one of the things I really miss about the books and the TV when we go to the TV adaptation is that conversation between Quentin and Julia where um, he's like basically questioning how she learned these things and, and kind of like being a dick about it and being like looking down his nose at her. And she says mm-hmm. the like, you know, uh, I think he asks like about her stars, right? Like mm. how many stars do you have or something like that? And uh, she says that she's the best and there's the whole like, fuck you. That's why bit, you know, you yeah. get to see her knock him down a peg too. So it's right. not just about. She does not- that continually during their like earth journey. She's yeah. always just like, you're privileged. Like you're an asshole. Like you're not as great as you think you are. Like, Kind of like stuff like it's pretty yeah great. and it's harder to get that i mean even though i think you do see some of that in the show it's harder to get through that with like the same appreciation for it because julia has has been through so much and she fucks up right like she does mm-hmm. fuck up and so like a lot of people i think unjustly struggle to have sympathy for her in the show um and they don't see her as being like the badass that she truly is the way that you get to see in the books. Right. Um, what kind of reminds me of that is, I don't know if either one of you guys watch breaking bad, but, um, a lot of the like fandom hate also kind of went like on Skylar and it's just kind of mostly because she opposes Walt and like everything's through his point of view. So like in the show, even though he's an anti-hero, he's our hero. And I think the same can yeah. be said for missions, you know, like we're in the shows and the books we're like, through Quentin's perspective. Yeah, you really so fed Quentin's to, uh, perspective. Yeah, we're supposed to empathize with him, you know? Like, he's our hero. He's the one that's going to get us through everything. So when you see Julia, you know, like, trying to knock him down and all that, you almost, you know, you empathize with him. Like, oh, poor, depressed Q. Like, Julia's roughing him up. But you see that um, kind of in the earlier part of the season and when he goes off on her, when Elliot and he go to get the book is that he's always in like this constant competition with her to like be better, you know, like know more about fillery, know more about magic. So in a way, like she has to, like she has to constantly defend herself yeah. to like get back on that level, you know? Yeah. I feel like I'm constantly de- defending Julia, period. <laughs> <laughs> you are. It's true. You, you joined uh, the Quentin protection squad, but you really should have founded the Julia protection squad. <laughs> I feel like, no, nah, the Julia protection squad, like, I feel like is more, I, I see way more than I see Quentin. Quentin definitely gets yeah. a lot of hate, but that's like book Quentin versus. Yeah. Show Quentin like, just seems to yeah. get love. <laughs> it's so funny show given Quentin how many people hated so him. So much more love. Ralph, he's fine. Um, but <laughs> that's true. Show Julia. <laughs> Like even my girlfriend hates Julia, and I am. Oh, and you're still with her. (laughs) I know. I'm. I'm trying to convince her so much. I'm just like, just read the book. Trust me. Like Julia's not really like Read Magician King, and you will love Julia. Yeah, read Magician King, and Julia will completely change for you. I it's like I can see Mm -hmm. the argument of not liking her in the show because she's definitely more painted as an anti-hero in the show than anything, and. She makes these very, very, very selfish decisions over and over and over again. Um, yeah. She's very self-serving in the show. But, yeah. like, the thing is, is it's, like, if you haven't been in her mindset, 
you can't put yourself in her shoes. So mm-hmm. other people just see her as this very selfish person, when in reality, yeah. she wants the magic to help people. Yeah, I, th- I think it'd be really hard to, like, get that nuance. Like, one thing I see a lot is people feel like they have to pick sides, right? Like, they feel like they can only like Quentin or they can only like Julia, that they're, like, in this opposition. Which doesn't make sense because no. they are best friends till the bitter end. Like, yeah, like... They- they love each other despite their issues. That's the thing I love about um, about so much of the show is that they really do show that, right? Like, they show when they get back together in season one and, like, become friends again. And they just so immediately go back to um, all the things that were great about their friendship. And then in season two, when they meet up to warn each other about what's, you know, what's going to go wrong in their plots. Like, they're all, they always have each other's backs, even when they're, uh-huh. like, bitterly Something- fighting. When people are hating on one character in particular, I, I really just, like, love to tell them. I'm like, they're all fucked up. Like, they're right. all selfish people. Every yeah. single one of them. Like, Quentin is probably the least selfish of them, which I don't find true in the books. But in the show, he definitely seems to be. Yeah, it's it's true. There really is a difference between, like, yeah, between all the book characters and the show characters. But it, it's interesting. They just sort of, like, rebalance. <laughs> Okay, um, I want to make sure we get through everything. Um, anything about Elliot and Margot? What do you think about the Margolem? Margolem, sorry. Um, I like that just that it shows, like, that even their friendship is breakable at moments, like, mm-hmm. um, and how hard it is to honestly be there for someone in the right way. Like, yeah. um, it's hard not to have... Like, I've had friends where it's just, like, it's really hard to, like, you don't know how to deal with certain things. Like, he just lost his boyfriend that he had to kill himself. And it's just kind of, like, how do you deal with that, like, as a friend? But also just, like, she also felt pushed away from him before that even happened. Uh Like, she's been gone for a while. And it's just, like, how does she deal with that? And they're both being kind of shitty to each other. Yeah, I think when Mike first came along, you saw that almost because he almost immediately kind of pushed Margot to the side. And I feel like that's not the first time he's done that. So Mm, when he just completely shuts her out when he has to kill Mike and he's just so, you know, downward and inebriated all the time, she feels even more shut out. So when she's, you know, trying to get his help for this thing, which I also really love the Margolem because it's, I mean, all boils down to like, consent and the fact that he took a part of her when he didn't have permission to and that she's losing something from it so for her not to be able to rely on Elliot to help was like really hurtful for their relationship and yeah anybody who's like really supportive of both of them it was just kind of hard to watch but I mean it was also very realistic because no relationship is perfect time so i think it really shows the like other side of the intensity of their relationship right like they have a really intense friendship which when it's good is really really good and when it's bad it's just so deeply screwed up right like they can't (laughs) seem to get on the same level and they can't seem to talk i i like definitely like related to it in in some ways just like it reminded me so much of my my relationship with my best friend is very turbulent uh yeah. when we are fighting it's, it's like we're like people refer to it like it's like we're breaking up like we're an actual couple we're like scream <laughs> at each other like throw things like have anxiety <laughs> attacks i mean we've worked on it a lot but it's just like that's the kind of relationship it, it really reminded me of theirs 
It's true. And I think, like, I don't know if this is true of your friendship, but, like, I think part of it for Elliot and Margot is most of the time they don't have to talk, right? Like, they are so mm-hmm. connected that they don't need to say anything out loud. But it also means that, like, when things break down, when things get fucked up, they don't know how to how to talk about it. And, like, you put that in contrast with, like, what's going on with Quentin and Alice in this episode. Like, they really are learning to communicate better and better. You right. really sort of see what, like, a, I was about to say it's a healthy relationship. <laughs> looks Some like. of the best <laughs> scenes throughout the entire series are, all, like, almost always seem to be between Olivia and Jason. They just, mm-hmm. their chemistry mm-hmm. is insane. I mean, I, I love uh, Margot and Elliot, too like but it's like a very different kind of relationship like it's a very different side because it's friendship but like all the heartfelt scenes are usually my favorites yeah heart to heart and it's kind of sad that elliot finally does open up and then it's not to actual and then he can't like redo it afterward Mm -hmm. so sad i also think it's really resonant of like the passion that they have for each other that when they fight, it is so bad, you know? So, I mean, it's kind of good, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's not good. I way. mean, I've seen relationships <laughs> like that, though. Like, it, remi- it very much reminds me of when, like, girls, like, have a gay best friend and they're in love with them. Like, that, that happens yeah. a lot. They get very possessive, so mm-hmm. when they are taken away, they don't understand why. So yeah. it's... Mm-hmm. Yeah. The struggle. All right. Um, yeah, factors i'd actually love to see elliot in the flip position like what it would be like if elliot saw her with like a serious boyfriend like that would be so weird yeah yeah but it would also just be so (laughs) weird to see to see janet to see Margot, like in love with somebody yeah when she was with the um uh princess Uh, uh, it didn't didn't feel right because you know it's janet like she doesn't she doesn't do love. <laughs> I yeah, thought that was just so forced. It was purely sexual, thankfully. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, uh, I don't see. I could never see her. Well, like in the books, I very much like I've said, I I read pretty much a few of them as aromantic, but she's like hard aromantic in my yeah. Book. <laughs> I agree with she's that. She's so invested in Elliot, though. So yeah, she, yeah. She's just so in love with Elliot, and it's never gonna happen. Yeah. <laughs> Until it happens, uh, it doesn't happen again. Uh. <laughs> well, I love that line where they say that they've almost gotten so bored. Oh, before yeah. In Fillory, that they get so bored, they almost fuck. It's great. Yeah. Okay, um, let's talk about fashion. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, there's a couple things. Oh, so actually, this will bring up one thing we haven't talked about. We have to talk about Quentin's dream. Oh, that's the best part of the whole fucking... Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. I almost forgot about that. (laughs) So, the reason this is relevant to fashion is because Quentin is dressed up like Indiana Jones, Alice is dressed like Daenerys, gotta go rescue her dragons, Um, Mm -hmm. and she's about to make out with Julia, who is dressed up like Princess Leia in the slave uniform. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then, who walks in? Penny. Penny. I love that Penny calls him a savant. It's one of my favorite things. I love the quote about the Bechdel test. It killed me. Oh, it's so great. I love that, like, 
I, oh god that whole thing about like he, where he like starts giving them this speech while they're about to make out about how he's a feminist yeah, <laughs> it's like so yeah. his insecurities <laughs> and, and and that's like such it's so Quentin like that kind of stuff keeps coming up like his like weird like social justice like stuff like he says it in yeah. season two to, where he's all like regardless of your gender I want you dead <laughs> <laughs> he yeah. does like these little lines I kind of felt like in this one, too, is also about his, like, anxiety about how he's seen. Like, he wants to make sure they know that even though he's watching them make out in this dream that he constructed, he's a feminist. It's cool. And then when he starts telling the, like, uh, Alice, like, about it without even thinking, he's like, this is my dream. And then she's like, excuse me? Like, who am I kissing? (laughs) My my husband got really mad when we were watching that earlier because we're watching that and he's like, wait a second. How is it that she knows that he thought that he he was like dreaming that she was kissing someone but doesn't know who it is like how did he even say that sentence so that it was ambiguous he totally doesn't was not thinking like <laughs> tell this story like. yeah. <laughs> yeah um but yeah that dream was great and the fashion in the dream was great uh-huh. um mm-hmm. the the other thing I noticed there was that Penny has a necklace again. And I guess this is the, like, hardened lava one. So it's yeah, different from the other one. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always looked when I heard Arjun talk about it. I was <laughs> like, okay, I'm going to keep an eye out for it now. So You're probably doing a better job than I am. I'm so bad at that. Like, I just completely space, never look for it. And then I'm like, oh, wait. <laughs> Either that or he's just... Uh, busy staring at Arjun's bare chest all the time, which, let's be real, it's a good a hobby. All the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure the the way that Katie's dressed when she like first shows up and like how she's wearing a flannel and like there's just like all this like weird tension between her and Julia is exactly why the ship started because it's so gay. It was. I was... She looked like little lesbians. Well, and when they were practicing, I was thinking about the the thing you were talking about in season two. The uh, what did you call it? The oh, it was it was such a great thing, like domestic wick off. Is that yeah, it? domestic because <laughs> they're be- they're wearing like very similar outfits to what they're wearing in season two, and they're like sitting there in Julia's apartment, like and collaborating and trying to learn stuff. They yeah. like have an obsession with pizza. Oh my god! <laughs> those, those two and their pizza—they're so, so good. <laughs> Domestic wig off—that's my favorite. Um, <laughs> okay, and then the last fashion note I have isn't actually fashion. It's just that um, this is the first time we saw the Netherlands, right? I yeah. think so because I remember pointing out. I always remember Katie Finley from mm-hmm. How to Get Away with Murder. Right now, I know who Eve is because <laughs> we mm-hmm. saw her. Yeah, again. that's Eve. Yeah. <laughs> I, love, I love Katie Finley. So much, yeah. so I was super excited. I actually, I was the first one to discover that she was in this episode. And um, during, like, I so I saw a picture, like a promo pic, and I was like, holy shit. And I, like, thought, and, like, no one was sure if it was actually from the magicians. And I remember, like, tweeting it at Arjun, and he confirmed that it was her. And he's like, yeah, it's my friend. And so he posted a behind-the-scenes thing with her, and she, like, retweeted it. And I, like, freaked out about it a little bit. Because oh, <laughs> I was, like, so in love with her. Yeah, she's great. She was. She was really great in this. I also love their whole vibe where he's like, she's being super friendly and he's Penny. So he like does not trust this on instinct. And he's like giving her the information and doing the things she wants. But he's like side-eyeing he like, her the whole time. He's like, here's the button. And then he's just like, but he's holding it's it like, at an arm's length. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, I love, 
I love the Santa Claus bit too. Oh yeah, it's so great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it reminded me oh, of yeah. Josh in the books and his adventures oh, yeah, in the definitely. Netherlands. I still hope we get the Teletubbies. <laughs> oh my god, I need Josh in the Netherlands like adventures. That could be another graphic novel. That would be a great graphic novel. Hear that, Lev? Mm. Josh, <laughs> make him a little more foggy. <laughs> we need that. We need that. We need um, Elliot on the Mudjack and um, Janet's adventures in. Oh yeah, in Loria. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, well, yeah. So the the not fashion thing I had was just noting the muted palette in the Netherlands that like everything is all gray, and I thought that was a really cool move. That's that's such a love hate for people. Like some people really hate the way that that was shot. Not oh. necessarily the color gradient, but. Uh, the way that it was shot. What do you mean? Yeah, I'm not a fan of the slanted style. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I feel that. Or well, uh, I don't feel that. I disagree. Like, but. Uh, yeah. Well, I really do like the um, color scheme, though, of it, because yeah. you know you really get the vibe that Penny's so isolated and you know mm-hmm. really like on his own, and it's so like hopeless, and there's all these yeah. possible. Outcomes. I really want to see it snow in the Netherlands the way it does in the books. Yeah, I feel like with that muted palette, it would look so cool. Yeah. Was it was it actually snow though? Because they were like, I'm not sure if it's snow or like ashes. <laughs> yeah. They were sure. Quentin and Poppy. Um, where it's like being destroyed, like the Netherlands is coming apart. Is that what you're talking about? There's a couple different scenes around then. I think I'm talking about before then when so it's. It's when magic is just like starting to dissipate to go away and it starts getting like there starts being weather in the Netherlands, it starts getting cold. Mm. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and like Quentin and Poppy get stuck there by mistake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And run into Penny again. <laughs> um, okay, so that's all I have on fashion. MVPs? Shall we do that? Yeah. yeah. All right, Danny, start us off. Um,. My MVP is probably, I feel like I have to go with Katie. I really like Katie in this one. Oh, cool. <laughs> I, I think I was just so, so surprised to see her again. And she does such a good job like with her, like com- kind of going from really being pissed off to see Julia and then them like bonding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, probably Jade. I don't I think would, I've ever actually given one to Jade. No, I don't know that you have. You've come close. You've given her some, like, second places. <laughs> Honorable mentions. Yeah. Oh, cool. I, I ended up giving it to Olivia in this one. Um, I just, I really love all of her scenes, and I love the way that she, like, does Alice's awkwardness in this. <laughs> I do want to say that one of my favorite parts in the episode is when they talk about the Garden State soundtrack, and yeah. I was like, Damn, like, that's, like... I know, I feel like we all identified with that hardcore. It was cool when it came out. It was such a good soundtrack. And she had the Shins poster on her wall. Yeah. Yeah. The Garden State's a great movie in general. It actually reminds me a lot of Quentin. Like, so I'm kind of shocked that... (laughs) Uh, I can see how it would remind you of Quentin. I haven't watched it since it came out. I'm a little afraid to. I feel like it probably won't hold up, but... Oh, I think it's still good. (laughs) <laughs> there's some problems with it there's definitely some problems with it because I mean it is the start of the Manic Pixie Dream Girl but like I mean, it's, it's not, also yeah. it is and it isn't 
It's the first time that that, that movie is the reason It's the first that time that term, term got used, but me. come on, Audrey Hepburn in, like, anything. That's <laughs> true, but I just mean, like, the first incarnation yeah, of, like, yeah. that actual term being used. Um, yeah. But I still really like that movie, even if it... <laughs> Good. All right, we gotta let Nate give us his MVP. <laughs> All right, um, I would also go with Olivia. Um, doing somebody's like childhood backstory and like mm-hmm. so like view time and just you know being in her room and everything. I feel like we really got the essence of Alice and why she is the way she is. Um, I would also say Arjun was really yeah, good. Yeah, he's um, he's good. Navigating the Netherlands by himself and being away from the team and everything and still standing alone was pretty great. So yeah, I'd have to go with them. I'm glad you talked about him. I'm glad you mentioned him because we barely talked about him in this episode, but he is fantastic. Yeah. I mean, he's always I feel fantastic. Like he's urgent. In this episode, because he's always kind of on his own, you know, because he's yeah. a traveler and he's not from the same, you know, background as all these people. Yeah. But like for him to go to this world that only, you know, he would go to and to have this experience and literally be alone in this world of like darkness and despair is really resonant of his like journey so far and his journey like in the group. So Yeah. Yeah. I really hope we get to see more of his personal journey in season three, like without the Katie drama. Um, yeah. Cause like, I think that, I think there, I, I, I think that storyline, um, it's interesting. I also think it's run its course and I miss this. I miss getting to see Penny be Penny and not just right. be like one half of a relationship, which I feel is yeah, like season two. Next season, he has a bigger role since Good. magic is gone, but it's been gone for him since he lost his hands. So hopefully they'll be looking at him for guidance more. Yeah. Well, you know, he got his sphincter magic back. True. True. <laughs> All right. Ratings. <laughs> I'm gonna go with a six out of ten. <laughs> oh, so brutal! <laughs> oh, I should have expected it. <laughs> she was running her mouth off about this episode. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna be generous. I'll go with an eight. I really do like going to Alice's home and everything. Uh, I went with an eight out of ten too. So we'll we'll be generous together. <laughs> it's definitely one of those things. Like if I like went back in in time and rated it back when it first came out, it'd probably be closer to like an eight out of ten. I God. really liked it the first time I watched it, but now I'm just like I'm so fucking over that episode. <laughs> we really should have done season one as it came out. It's too bad we didn't have our shit together then. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's so fun to go back and rewatch, though. It, it is, is but our ratings are so okay. fucked up. <laughs> yeah, they are. They're so miscalibrated. Oh well. We have so many biases from how many times we've just purely seen every episode. Uh-huh. Uh, I've seen, I've seen it like at like the episode at least ten times. I want to say. I saw. I watched it three times today. So there you go. (laughs) Oh my god. Well, I always so I watch it once just to like watch it again, and then I watch it a second time to take notes, and then I don't. I more like skim it the third time to get the clips. But Uh there you go. (laughs) All right. Well, I I think that's a wrap on this. Um, Thank you, Nate, so much for joining us. This was really fun. Definitely have to have you back. (laughs) Maybe we'll have you back next week for remedial battle magic <laughs> oh, yeah. that'd be awesome yeah, I I that. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, you guys should really you should really be impressed by Nate right now because uh, we told him the wrong episode and he still did a great job with this. So thanks, guys. <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, listeners, thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and rate us on iTunes, and we will see you next week. Bye. 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 Mind slide. Psych.